verse, verses 1 to 21. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thanks, Matt. Good evening, St. Mike's. Good to be with you. And welcome to British summertime. Not the, uh, not the most summery start to the season, but uh, it holds promise of, of good things to come. My name's Sam, one of the team here, and it's, uh, it's great to be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would we have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us this evening. Would you open our eyes that we might see your purposes among us? In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into the passage for tonight, I want to ask you this question. What does having life to the full conjure up for you? Take a moment just to think about that. Life to the full. What does that mean for you?
a slightly different question, perhaps more tangible. What about a Sunday to the full? A Sunday to the full. Maybe there's brunch, coffee, church, maybe the F1 in the afternoon. I don't know. Turn to the person next to you or someone behind you uh, and just for a moment discuss what that Sunday to the full kind of makes you think of. What would your ideal Sunday be? Fantastic. This evening's message is about life to the full. How do we find life to the full? Where do we find life in all its fullness? And the context of Jesus' message is this story, this parable of sheep and shepherds. But I don't suppose there are any shepherds here this evening, and I certainly can't see any sheep. Forgive me if you know this already, but sheep and shepherds are a common picture in the Bible. They're one that's used in the Old Testament. So a bit of literary background. God is, um, God is called, he's referred to as the shepherd of Israel. And sheep are a common metaphor for God's people. In the Bible and in that, that area at that time, this picture of a shepherd sort of conjured up images of a a royal caretaker. And Psalm 80 cries out to God, Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Isaiah 40, comforting God's people, speaks of God as tending his flock like a shepherd, gathering the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart and gently leads those that have young. Those are beautiful pictures of strong protection and tender care. And then there's Ezekiel 34, a whole chapter of these false shepherds of Israel, prophets, uh, leaders being denounced for failing in their duties to shepherd, to look after, to care for God's people. And God promises a good shepherd, a messianic shepherd who will come in their place The chapter concludes, you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. So the Old Testament uses this image of sheep and shepherds, and there's this promise of a shepherd to come. I love John 10. I love it for the wonderful truths that it reveals to us about Jesus, about the Father, about their relationship with us. We're going to look at three truths. One is dead obvious and the the second two we couldn't have made up. And I love this chapter because it speaks so personally, so powerfully and so gently of who Jesus is and his invitation to us this evening. So the first thing we see, and it's sort of a general truth, uh, it seems that Jesus is sharing initially as he speaks to the Pharisees, is that thieves climb over. Thieves climb over. And more to the point, sheep rustlers 
climb into the pen. They climb over the wall. The shepherd uses the gate. Now, it's a wonderfully simple, intuitive picture, isn't it? None of us need that particularly explaining to us. We all get it. We all naturally understand the difference between the one who has authority to be somewhere, wherever that is, and the one who's snuck in, the one who's trespassing, who's not meant to be there. Growing up, one time, my brother and I came home to discover that the house had been burgled. Someone had been in while we'd all been out. They'd made a mess. They'd stolen some stuff. Maybe you've had a similar experience, although I hope not. The kitchen window had evidence of a crowbar. Whoever they were, they weren't welcome. They had forced their way in. But compare that to when our dad used to get home from work. We'd throw open the door or the side gate if he came on his bike. And we'd welcome him in, even if he felt a bit smash, if he felt, if he smelt a bit fresh from the cycle home. It was his home. We were his family. He was welcome. And he didn't have to climb in over the wall or through the window. We threw the door open for him. Jesus is letting the Pharisees know they've got the wrong end of the stick. You see, the reason that Jesus starts telling the Pharisees about sheepfolds and gates, if we uh, had had time to, to read the whole of chapter 9, where Jesus restores the sight of a man born blind, we'd see that, that in that, that story, that kind of episode that comes just before this one, this, this man who was born blind has had his sight restored. He's been brought back into God's family. The stigma around that blindness and the sin that was sort of assumed to come with it had been healed. He'd been restored. And yet the Pharisees drag him in and interrogate him because he's been healed on the Sabbath. They want to know who did it, who's guilty of this crime. And what do they do? They throw him out. This man born blind who now wonderfully, miraculously can see is thrown out. The Pharisees didn't get it. Like those false prophets, false leaders rebuked in Ezekiel 34, the Pharisees weren't the shepherds that they thought they were. But the shepherds had arrived on the scene. And while Jesus wasn't afraid of conflict, he wasn't afraid to go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, it seems he had compassion. He wants them to understand. So he tries again, and this time a little bit more direct. He says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. So that's the second thing we see, that Jesus is the gate. Now you probably know that in John's gospel, there are these seven I am sayings, seven striking statements uh, that give us pictures of the different facets of Jesus' identity. And you'll know most of them, I'm sure you'll be familiar with them. I am the light of the world, says Jesus. We love that. What a wonderful picture of light in the darkness. I am the bread of life. Fantastic. We all need nourishing. It sounds wholesome, hearty, tasty. But Jesus, the gate Christ, 
just hasn't really caught on, I don't think. And what's Jesus doing here? Mixing metaphors, it seems, between shepherds and thieves. We kind of got that, like cops and robbers. But now the gate, what's that about? But what do gates do? Pretty simple, isn't it? They open and they close. They let things in, they let things out. Jesus says, whoever enters through me will be saved or kept safe. They'll come in and they'll go out and find pasture. Now just imagine for a second that you're a sheep. A vulnerable, defenseless, hungry sheep. What do you need? You need somewhere to lie down and sleep and somewhere to go out and find pasture. And the gate is the answer to both. The gate allows the sheep into the sheepfold, to the safety where they can rest, where they can sleep. And it allows them to go out to graze, to find sustenance. If you're a sheep, that is life to the full. But I imagine you describe life to the full with a bit more colour, a bit more imagination as you thought to yourself, what would life to the full be? But at its heart, we're not that different to sheep. At the heart of it, like sheep, we need somewhere to rest in safety. We need a home. And we need somewhere to go out. We need the stimulation of going out to work, to play. We're probably more likely today to own pets, cats, dogs, rabbits, ferrets, than we are to own sheep. Claire said that she saw someone walking their ferret on the way home from work the other day. And think of the way that we look after our pets, whether it's a ferret or a dog. Inside, at home, they're safe. They can sleep as much as they want. But take your ferret, your dog out for a walk, and they are out in the wild, smelling the world to their heart's content. They're making friends. They're chasing those balls. And the door, the front door, is the key to that safety at home and that contentment of having a world to interact with. Life to the full. Jesus the gate brings life to the full. He's the way into the safety of the pen and allows us in and out to find nourishment and sustenance each day. John 10.10 is a famous verse and you might well have memorised it. It might have been a memory verse growing up. It takes me back to the night before my driving test, age 17. My dad's best man, Andy, was staying with us and my driving test was the first thing the very next morning, 9am, um, about half an hour drive away. So that the evening before, we prayed, my parents and Andy, and he prayed this verse over me, and it, it stuck with me. He prayed it over me and my driving test, life in all its fullness, in Jesus' name. It's the first time I remember really coming across it. Well, praise God, I passed my driving test. And what's more amazing than, um, than passing it, you know, that first time, just a few months after I was 17, was that the examiner didn't give me a single minor. 
And if you've, uh, if you've been in the car with me, you'll appreciate how much of a miracle that is. And what's funny is that I had the biggest near miss, I think probably the biggest near miss of my driving career, just moments before I turned into the, uh, the, uh, the examiner, the, t- the driving school um, test center. We were coming down a hill to a big set of lights and uh, I, I hadn't quite, in my limited driving experience, learned the significance of the difference between a green light and a green sort of right-hand filter light. So there was a green light, there wasn't any oncoming traffic as I came down this hill, um, and I sort of swooshed round to the right with the, uh, the car that did appear coming the other way and should have given way to me, I was sure, um, narrowly missing my driving instructor in the passenger seat. Um, by a a hair's breadth. In his kindness, I think the Lord used that near miss to teach me an important lesson about traffic lights and to make sure I was switched on for my driving test just a few minutes later. And passing that test opened up a, a whole new world of freedom. And in my experience, life to the full is a bit like that. It's a rich tapestry of battles, of blessings, of of lessons that we learn along the way, of safety and skirmishes. It's life with Jesus. And we trust that he knows what he's doing. We praise him when life feels like it's full and when it doesn't, we trust that he works all things together for our good. So Jesus the gate, enter through him, find safety. Find salvation, find the life that he has for you, life in all its fullness. And the third thing that we see as Jesus comes to the climax of his teaching here is that he is the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There is an enemy, not just thieves and robbers, climbing over into the pen, but an enemy outside the pen. The reason that there's a pen in the first place, the wolf. The wolf is the enemy, the adversary of the sheep. The name Satan actually means the adversary. The wolf is a metaphor for Satan, the adversary of God's flock. There's a threat to the flock, but we don't have to be afraid. The one looking after us isn't a hired hand who's going to scarper at the first sniff of trouble. He's the shepherd, the one to whom the sheep belong. He knows his sheep, cares for them, and protects them, even to the extent of laying down his own life. I don't know quite how this went down when Jesus first said it, taught it, when people first heard it. I think If we've heard it before, there's a risk that it loses its shock, it loses its edge. A good shepherd at the time would have been expected, unlike a hired hand, to take on the wolf, to take on the lion, to face the threat. But generally they were were expected to win. They didn't generally lay down their lives for the sheep. After all, The sheep's just the sheep. And yet here is Jesus, here's God, saying that he would lay down his life for the sheep. 
That's how much God loves us. That's how much he loves me and loves you. That he would give himself, give his life, that you and I might be kept safe. Could he love us any more than that? So having told us that Jesus, uh, that he came to give life and life to the full, he then speaks of giving up his own life for us. And he goes on to emphasize that it's not taken from him. He isn't overtaken by the wolf, by the enemy. He isn't overpowered. He isn't overcome. But he gives himself. He's active in that. He decides to give himself, to lay down his life knowing it's the only way to break the power of the enemy and to protect us. He lays down his life with the power to lay it down and take it up again. Harry Potter starts with a, um, or the, the sort of backdrop, is a, is a powerful image of self-sacrificial love isn't it? If you've read the books, if you've watched the films, you know, the first question you have when you see Harry Potter is why does he have a scar on his forehead? Which takes you back to his battle, his skirmish with Voldemort years before when Voldemort came to his parents' house and tried to kill, tried to kill Harry. And what did his parents do? What did his mum do? They laid down their lives to protect their child they took that death blow so that their son would live and it's just a just a story just a book a fiction book but it's a powerful image of a parent laying down their life for their child and that's what we see here this self-giving sacrificial love we see it in Aslan laying down his life, taking on the white witch to free Edmund, to free Narnia from her power. There's a reason that Psalm 23 is so popular, one of the favorites, and especially so in hard times or in the face of death. Let me remind you, it says Psalm, uh, David says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David has this wonderful sight of God as his shepherd, God as his protector, walking with him, even through the darkest valley. And here we see Jesus as the one that David foresaw, our good shepherd, 
who allows us to rest and to sleep, soundly knowing that he's keeping watch. We can switch off from our striving, from our work. We can have those boundaries that mean that we can just rest and be safe with him. I love Psalm 4 verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And having Jesus as our shepherd means we can give ourselves, throw ourselves into each day. We don't need to be afraid of the wolf, our adversary. We can embrace life to the full, all the opportunities that come our way. In our work, our hobbies, our relationships. We can take risks, we can step out in faith, we can apply for that job, go to that interview travel to that country, have that conversation with our boss. And we can go out of our way to be bold in our love for one another. We don't need an excuse to be kind to each other, to be generous, hospitable, sharing our homes and our lives with one another. Good Friday is coming up the week after next. That's the day when we remember and celebrate that Jesus is our good shepherd that he didn't flee in the face of the threat, the danger, the opposition, but he laid down his life for you and for me. On the cross, we see the heart of God most clearly, his heart for you and for me to know him, to enjoy him forever. So what do you make of Jesus? Our passage ends with the Jews divided Many of them said he is a, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Are you skeptical about Jesus? Or are you surprised by his power, by his authority? It's an extraordinary comfort to me knowing that Jesus is my shepherd. Whether it's fear of death and suffering or the fear of spiders and the dark or the unknowns of the future and the evil around us. I know that he is with me. He knows me. He cares for me. I know ultimately that he gave his life for me and he offers that same self-caring, self-giving love to all of us today. So if you haven't met Jesus, the good shepherd, if you haven't met the one who laid down his life for you, he'd love to meet you, he'd love you to come to him, to trust in him, to find life in him, life in all its fullness. Let's pray.